This episode of Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher is brought to you by my friends at Catoctin Creek Distilling Company. Located in Percival, Virginia, Catoctin Creek Distilling Company is the Virginia rye whiskey. From its traditional production methods to the land that infuses every bottle, everything about Catoctin Creek is inspired by the history and craft of Virginia. Founded by Scott and Becky Harris in 2009, Catoctin Creek is proud to be the first legal distillery since Prohibition in Loudoun County. And if you were drinking whiskey in Virginia before Prohibition, you are most certainly drinking rye whiskey, which is what Catoctin Creek is known for. Considered Virginia's most awarded whiskey, Catoctin Creek's flagship product, Roundstone Rye, is a 100% rye single barrel whiskey produced in the tradition of slower distillation in copper pot stills. That process results in a richer flavor, texture, and spice. This whiskey is delicious. So if you're ever in Percival, Virginia, stop in and say hello to Scott and Becky Harris at Catoctin Creek Distilling and tell them that Howard sent you and get some Roundstone Rye. It makes some darn good gin and brandy too, I'm going to tell you. So just stop in and see them. You'll be very happy you did. And now let's get on with the show. We have a slogan at 868, which is wine, food, nature, and art. And we have this um, art program where we have a, our tasting room serves also as an art gallery. And as part of that program, in the years where we make a reserve wine, we select the label art from artists who have shown in our gallery over the past year. So last year, we didn't make any reserve wines because that would have been the 2018 vintage. And um, But we do plan to bottle some reserve wines coming up this spring and summer. So for that, we'll be selecting from our artist to um, make really lovely labels for us. Um, our normal wine label is fairly understated with black and silver and, and um, subtle. And our reserve wine labels are really an expression of our, our love for marrying that wine and art. And so when you talk about, you know, things that are coming out soon, I always look forward to the reserve wines and the reserve wine labels. This is Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher, a podcast that shines a light on the best winemakers, craft brewers, and spirit distillers in the DMV. So grab a glass of your favorite adult beverage. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and let's get started. Thank you, Asia. Hello and welcome to Barrel Tasting. I'm Howard Fletcher. I have another very special show for you today. Three families who share a passion for wine came together in 2012 to open 868 Estate Vineyards in Loudoun County on the Loudoun County Wine Trail. Now, one of those families was the couple Nancy and Peter DeLiso. And I was fortunate enough to be able to spend some time with Nancy over the wonder of the internet a few weeks back to hear what it's like to take the bold step, not only to open a premier vineyard and winery in Virginia, but also take the helm of Grandale, the superb restaurant located on the vineyard grounds. It's an interesting story of teamwork and success, and I'm happy to share it with you right now. So with no further ado, Here's my conversation with Nancy DeLiso 
owner and customer marketing guru of 868 The State Vineyards in Hillsboro, Virginia. Let's all raise a glass. Hello, Nancy DeLisa. Thank you for being on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here today. Nancy is on the show because she is one of the owners of 868 Estate Vineyard. I don't know what other titles go along with yet, so please tell us how should I describe well, it. I have many titles at 868. Um, I am the the partner, the business partner, the owner who's responsible for all customer-facing um, things. So for events and for marketing and for sales and all of that, anything that's customer-facing that falls into to my category of what I'm responsible for. Yeah. I had the uh, pleasure of interviewing one of your partners, Carl Damano, who is your winemaker, a couple of years ago. And uh, fell in love with the place. As you know, uh, my partner, Joan, and I come out there quite often. I'm very interested uh, knowing how people get into the business. And so, and I know a little bit about your story. I know the listeners probably don't. But first, tell us about yourself. How did you, you know, what happened in your life before deciding to go into the wine business? Well, for me, it was pretty easy um, in terms of what happened in my life before this. Um, I have a background in business. I was in sales and marketing for a telecom company uh -huh. um, up until um, the early 2000s, late, late 1990s. And then um, I had children and I stayed home with my children for a number of years. Then my husband, uh, who is a lawyer, my husband Peter is a lawyer, and he... Um, he lawyers a lot, is what I like to say. <laughs> he 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 spends a lot of time lawyering, and um, yes, it, which is yes, uh, he's a very good lawyer. And mm -hmm. um, um, he, but he was in need of a hobby, so um, he had another business partner who was also looking for something to do, and they both loved wine, and so um, they thought to themselves that this would be a great um, a great business to go into, and I thought it was fabulous because Peter really needs a hobby that's not just work. And um, so they began looking for a piece of property to open a vineyard, to open a winery. Um, that took a while. There were not very many pieces of property that were large enough for what we wanted to do in terms of our project. And um, we had looked at Fauquier County, then we started looking at Loudoun County. And Loudoun County really had a lot of um, business support and community support that was not exactly the same in Fauquier County. So we really settled on Loudoun County as the place we wanted to be. And um, and then we found a, a lovely parcel of 90 acres out um, in northern Loudoun County off of Harpers Ferry Road that had been zoned for a subdivision. Um, there were actually already wells put in for the houses. It had been zoned for 14 houses. And then with the economic crash of um, 2008, the the subdivision stalled completely. So the piece of property had been sitting there. And that was, it was uh, sited just perfectly for vineyards. It was, um, the soil was good. We had Carl involved in the project at that point, our winemaker. And he said it was a fabulous piece of property. So we um, purchased the piece of property, the 90 acres, uh -huh. and then sort of looked over the stone wall and there was a restaurant. And we thought, well, wouldn't that be fun to combine the restaurant with the piece of property that we were looking at, which had nothing on it, you know, at uh -huh. the time. 
And so we made an offer on the restaurant. And so we purchased Grandale Restaurant to come into the um, the business project altogether. Um, so the answer, the question that you originally asked, I'm sorry, Howard, was how did I get into it? No, you right into what I was asking. Okay. Was, um, so I was thinking Peter was going to be doing all of this. And um, I love to travel. Um, I was still had kids at home at the time. And so I'm thinking this is a great hobby for Peter. And uh, it turns out that um, my talents and my skills are uniquely suited to running a vineyard. So <laughs> I, um, I became part of the project at that point as well. And um, I'm originally from Mississippi. We, we are all about hospitality. We love to talk to people. We love to feed people. We love to spend time with people. And that just was a perfect match for this project. Now, were you and Peter living in Virginia at the time or were you? Yes, we've been in Virginia um, for almost 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. So what I find so interesting about uh, the situation at 868 uh, is that you do have a restaurant there. Um, was there any, were there any zoning issues or were there any issues that came up when uh, deciding, okay, because the restaurant, it sounds like was something that was a happy surprise, I guess, uh, you know, that you didn't plan on. When you decided to open the restaurant, did you find that there were some hurdles that you had to get over to uh, make um, it come together? Well, actually having the restaurant there was um, was really unique in terms of zoning and licensing. Mm-hmm. Um, the restaurant, of course, already had a, an, an ABC license. Sure. So they were already up and running selling wine and beer. They, it's not an alcohol, not a liquor license. Um, and they had relationships with lots of, of the local vineyards. They had a, an extensive local wine list that was available for diners. And it was, it was not an issue to also then get a farm winery license in conjunction with the restaurant license that was okay. already there. There have been a number of um, farm wineries who have tried to get a restaurant ABC license. So doing it the other direction right. from us. And that I understand has been a real challenge for a lot of people. Um, so having that restaurant alcohol license first was really helpful. Yeah. I, I noticed that you're unique in that aspect. So I figured there might've been something to yes. that. Yes. Um, the going back to the restaurant, we will get to the wine people, trust me, but getting back to the restaurant, it was functioning. Was it, it was up and running and open at the time you purchased yes. it? Or yes, was, that's correct. Yeah. They had been open about six years when we purchased it. And you, did you retain the chef or did you change uh, the whole setup or what did you do there? You know, the, um, we retained the chef, we retained the staff. Um, the, we are very clear in knowing that we do not, did not know how to run a restaurant at that time. Uh-huh. And um, uh, Chef Arthur Clark stayed with us for many years. He just left um, in late 2019 uh-huh. and was, um, he was really, he was the original part owner and chef from when the restaurant had begun. And he was really a guiding force in teaching us so many things and continuing to have the same uh, level of quality in both service and food that he had started with. Well, I have n- I confess I have not eaten at the restaurant yet. Now Joan uh has been there twice or thrice, but she raves about it. Well, and and I, and I will say that, you know, with COVID, um the restaurant is not currently open. Yeah. Um we it's a very small and very intimate restaurant 
And at the moment, people um, are not looking for small and intimate indoor opportunities to mm-hmm. eat. So um, the restaurant is not currently open and we're waiting to see how COVID, how everyone comes out of COVID in the spring and summer uh, to see what we do about that. I can't speak to the food that's served at the wine club events pre-COVID again, um, which I understand comes from, they come, it comes from Grandale. Correct. And it's, they are, it's just delicious. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's all right. So you, you and your three partners. Yes. uh, Decide to, uh, you know, you purchase this land, you plant some vines. I'm so, well, you purchase the land. You say, okay, now we're going to make a vineyard. So how, how do you do that? You, wow. I know you, you, probably, you had <laughs> Carl. I'm assuming Carl was kind of took the leadership role in Correct. that. Correct. Yes, absolutely. And um, so, how you do that first is you realize that you don't know what to do. Right. So, you find an expert. Okay. That is how you do it. Mm-hmm. And then you drink a lot of wine. And then, you <laughs> <laughs> so um, really, it's um, Carl was responsible for making the decisions that were some of the decisions that were really critical in terms of what we were going to plant, Uh um, where we were going to plant. We, um, the, the land that we purchased was over 120 acres. So of that, Carl determined that we had about 40 plantable acres. Um, the thing is, is that you, you plant the, the acres first that are the cheapest to plant. Okay, the easiest to get access to, Makes right? Sense. So um, our the planting of our vineyards has been a multi-year process. Um, we started planting in 2011 and have planted some vineyards almost every year since then. As we have um, approached 22 acres under vine, each acre gets more and more expensive. There's more groundwork to be done. There's more rock to move and things like that. So for this year, we are not planting any additional. Um, the 22 acres uh, is in a in a regular regular year provides us with enough grapes to make about 4,000 cases in our winery, and that's about where we're going to be for right now. In a uh, and I spoke to Carl about this. Well, I'll speak to all the winemakers about this, which I, because I didn't know anything about winemaking and I still know just a fraction. But I do know this winemaking in Virginia is very uh, dependent on the climate, on the weather, as opposed to, say, California and some other places. Uh, in running the business, because that's your kind of your end, how did over your nine years? Is it? Has it been? Oh, yes, yes. Coming yeah, up on nine. nine. Yes. Nine mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a year that particularly stands out that it was challenging as far as, uh, or, or I know all of them are challenging. All of them, yes, right. Okay, <laughs> yes. But go ahead, Howard. <laughs> well, this, it might be this year with, right. the, with COVID. Uh, but uh, the, before we get into COVID, with, the, with just the how it's not like making widgets. Right. You can say next year we're going to make 4,000 widgets and we, that we know we're going to have that and let's market it where you don't know exactly what you're going to have to market. Well, how was, how was that? Uh, how has that been? Cause I've never been in a situation like that. I mean, I sell houses and I guess, you know, I don't know how many I'm going to sell per year, but I try to right. plan it out, but you never know. Yeah. Well, um, you know, owning a winery and running a winery, a vineyard is, is really a two part proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, one part is you are a farmer and one part is you're in hospitality. 
Uh-huh. And with all of the craziness that that entails, and there's plenty of craziness on the hospitality side, the um, being the farming part is um, really where you have to accept that there are things you cannot change, right. that you work with what you are given weatherwise, um, and you make the best of it when you can, and sometimes you punt. So um, in terms of like, you know, years that stand out, um, 2017 was a fabulous harvest. Oh my gosh. Lots, lots of beautiful grapes, Uh lots of lovely wine. 2018, you know, the joke is it only rained twice and, you know, it was once for 45 days and once for 90 days. (laughs) And, you know, and so 2018 was, um, was a disaster. Um, for those of us in Northern Virginia, in terms of red red grapes, um, there were many vineyards, including us, that made no red wine from estate-grown grapes in 2018. We actually only had one 2018 vintage red that we sold um, where we had actually purchased grapes for it. And mm. it was a fabulous Cab Sauv. It was lovely. Um, but that's that's not what we're... We're not in the business of buying grapes we're in the business right. of making a state grown wine right. so um the um so 2018 was a year where you had to say okay all of the effort all of the winter pruning all of the trellising all of the everything you did for those grapes did not count it did not result in any wine that you could sell and that was that was pretty devastating. Yeah. Now, you know, it was that year was squeezed in between two fabulous vintages. 2019 was also a great growing year for us. Um, for 2020, um, we were very lucky in uh, and weather is so capricious. I mean, it is so capricious. And I think that um, people who are not in farming don't really understand that in, in its in its like really gut, you know, in your gut. Yeah. Um, so 2020, it was unseasonably warm in March. The vines began to wake from their winter slumber and um, they began to leaf out. And then we had a crazy five days of frost in the middle of May. Um, people were very concerned. There were uh, vineyards. Um, you can hire helicopters to hover over your vineyard during during the night and it churns up the warm air to uh-huh. you know it keeps the air moving um we did not do that there were vineyards that um put out smudge pots to again blow smoke across the vineyard to keep the air moving and to keep them from frosting we did not do that we just don't have the resources and the manpower to do those things uh-huh. um we didn't get frost damage we were very lucky our particular vineyard did not get frost damage two vineyards over they did yeah. Um, subsequent to that, there was a hailstorm. Um, the the flowers had already set. Um, we did not get damaged by the hailstorm. Just on the other side of the mountain, another vineyard lost fifty percent of their crop. Um, you know, so it's just those things where um, it, it's only by the grace of you know a, a mile and a half from you lose fifty percent of your crop to your crop is okay. So it's really it's very capricious, and uh, we are we are grateful anytime we get a good harvest. 
Yeah, I, you know, I never thought about whether as far as, because uh, I'm a city guy, city kid. My, right. my grandfather was a farmer. My mother grew up on a farm. And so she's quite sensitive to those things. But, you know, I, weather doesn't prevent me from going to the grocery store. So I never think about those things until I started to get to know the local vineyards and the right. local winemakers and talk to them about these things. So now I find myself when uh, last March, when it was unseasonably warm, I, I find myself thinking, uh-oh. Yeah. The, the vines are going to yeah. bloom too early or yeah. when it got that, when you got that frost, you know, um, and it's, uh, it can be a terrible, you know, I'm sure it's a, you know, a, a very nerve wracking experience to go through that. You know? uh, it definitely is. But you know, Howard, here's the thing is um, for all the nerve wracking, generally we have a bottle of wine close by. So we can, we can, <laughs> We can mitigate the nerve wracking a little yeah. bit with yeah. that. Yeah. So. And I did want to say about uh, 2018 hmm. that maybe I know that, you know, nobody would like all that rain. But one of the things I think that came from that rain for somebody like for a consumer. Right. Now, I never was a rosé guy. Oh, yeah. I never really liked it. Right. But because you had all these dry grapes that created, that were you know, oversaturated. And, and some of the ways I understand that some of the crop got to be salvaged was to make rosé instead of what was intended for it to, to, to do. And you can make a dry rosé. And I found that I kind of like a dry rosé now. I love so, dry rosé. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and there, were, there was a lot to be had. <laughs> there was a lot to be had from that year. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we, we, um, we did a rosé that year. We, um, we did pull some, um, some of our chamberson it was not very much and turned it into a rosé and that was that was fine that was mm -hmm. not um i like it when you make a rosé intentionally as opposed to sort of okay well what do we do now but there's a lot in the wine business that is okay we have this now what do we do right so from the hospitality side the planting decisions like, okay, you, I, you know, I see you all the time in the tasting room. You interact with the clientele quite, quite often. So uh, I'm sure you hear, you get some requests or some things. Now I know, you know, there's certain things that aren't going to happen probably. Like if somebody asked for, let me just pull something out, like a, a Pinot Noir. Or oh, that's exactly what I was going to offer. Yeah. Yes. A Pinot Noir. Yes. <laughs> we're not going to grow that. <laughs> we're not going to grow that. Nope. However, um, is there is there a time when you get together with with Carl or whoever is making those type of decisions about what gets planted and how much of it gets planted uh, when you say, hey, you, you know, we can't we can't ever plant too much Cab Franc or whatever it is, is or Petit Verdot. Is there do you have those conversations? Um, I don't. Um, okay. And again, it's about realizing that Carl really knows what he's doing. That's yeah, it's true. And I can pass along. Um, customer information, customer data points, right? But um, we don't really have that many people who are coming in. And we could, we do get asked about Pinot Noir, you know, but um, we don't really have that many people who are coming in and said, oh man, I would love y'all more if you just planted Albarino and five right. years from now, when you have a crop, I'll come back and buy some. You right. know, we don't really have that kind of customer um, feedback. Right. And, um, and Carl knows what grows here. He knows what he wants to experiment with. And um, and I respect that. And when he provides a product, then my job is to 
figure out all of the wonderful ways to tell customers and potential customers about it and yeah. to really figure out how to share his talent with customers and people around around our community. Yeah, well, that that's worked out well. <laughs> yeah. and, and generally speaking, he does not come down and tell me how to put Facebook ads on, generally speaking. So yeah, <laughs> it's a good go. partnership. Everyone stays in the lane. <laughs> right, exactly. Is there anything that, that you know of that's uh, coming down the pike that's, that's going to be a new offering for you all uh, or hopefully new offering? Well, let's see. But Carl is always doing amazing things with blends, particularly with red wine blends. Mm -hmm. um, and so I look forward every year to what our Meritage is going to be. You know, that's always exciting. Yeah. Um, we have recently planted some Tanat. We have not had Tanat oh. yet, and we yeah. haven't done anything with it yet. We don't have, you know, it's not aged. It's not grown enough to have a crop yet. Mm -hmm. But So that'll be coming, which will be different for us. Um, one of the things that I look forward to is... Um, we we have a slogan at 868, which is wine, food, nature, and art. And we have this um, art program where we have a, our tasting room serves also as an art gallery. So the art changes and we have artists who come and they give talks and they do demonstrations and things like that. And as part of that program, in the years where we make a reserve wine, we select the label art from artists who have shown in our gallery over the past year. So um, in last year, we didn't make any reserve wines because that would have been the 2018 vintage. Yeah. And um, But we do plan to bottle some reserve wines coming up this spring and summer. And so for that, we'll be selecting from our artist to um, make really lovely labels for us. Um, our normal wine label is fairly understated with black and silver and, and um, subtle. Mm. And our reserve wine labels are really an expression of our, our love for marrying that wine and art. And so when you talk about you know things that are coming out soon, I always look forward to the reserve wines and the reserve wine labels. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also excited to hear that you uh, have planted some Tanat. Uh, I've some winemakers, you know, I like Tanat, uh -huh. uh, but the Tanat that I've had uh, locally have been from, uh, and I'm not going to name any of them, but they've been from wine wineries and winemakers that I don't particularly um, frequent uh, uh, often, but I do like the grape. And lately I've heard of winemakers such as Carl and you all who are going to, you know, do some experimentation and go that direction. I'm real yeah. excited to see what they do because uh, I just enjoy that grape. That's, um, you know, it can be quite, uh, and I, I stole this from Nate Walsh, who I uh -huh, spoke to right. a, couple, a couple of months back. And he said, you know, some can be quite rustic in its, in its flavor because it's not, he, the way he described his snot, and I got a bottle of it, but I haven't opened it yet. That was a little bit more subtle. And uh, that's true. You can't run into some kind of rustic, <laughs> right. very harsh Tanat, which is some people's cup of tea, not necessarily mine, but I do like the flavor of that grape right. or the, the juice. Well, so, stay tuned. So. Stay tuned. <laughs> now, um, let's talk about uh, COVID and uh, or at least the uh, the repercussions of it, because as as you know, you know, it really came on suddenly. You know, I, I, you know, you, you know, February, it seems like we're going to go into a regular old spring. And by the end of March, everything has changed. So, um, which really, I don't know how it affected somebody on the production end, 
But I do know it really affected the hospitality end because you had to change your total paradigm of how you uh, deliver your product or your, you know, get wine to customers. So how did you handle that? Yeah, Howard, that this has been, it's been a challenging year mm-hmm. and, and it's really been a roller coaster of a year, even more than challenging. I would say roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Um, in late February of 2020, we won the governor's cup. That's right. And um, which is a really big deal. I mean, it's, it's really, and I, I don't know the people who are in, Virginia. Um, I'm not sure that they really understand what a big deal this is in a global sense of the world Let's of talk wine. About that first before we get into that. Okay. I did want to bring it up since sure. you brought it up. So you all won the governor's cup. So tell us why it's so important and how you won it. Well, here's what happens is um, there are a lot of wine competitions out there. And some of those are kind of like beauty pageants where everybody's going to get a participation trophy. You know, and and that's fine. And there's nothing I'm not denigrating that because it's an opportunity to um, compare against others. You know, and that's that's wonderful. The Virginia Governor's Cup competition is um, has really prestigious judges on it. It's an international judging panel. It's taken very seriously. Um, Stephen Spurrier was one of the judges, um, and he's been instrumental in the the world of um, American wine on the global basis um, since 1976. And um, if you saw the movie Sideways, he's, uh, I'm sorry, not Sideways, Bottle Shock. He's mm-hmm. the um, he's the, the British character in there. And um, so it's this very prestigious panel of judges and it's a very rigorous tasting process. So you have some number of wines that are entered. I think it's probably around 500. And then from that you have, uh, winners in each category and you have 12 wines that are selected to be in the governor's case which is um, a case of wine that the governor uses to promote virginia wine and virginia tourism to um, people around the world you know so your wine is going to go as a marketing gift to people around the world so if you're in the governor's case then you have the opportunity to be selected as the governor's cup winner which is the highest scoring wine out of all of the wines there. And when we found out that we had won, we were just, I mean, over the moon about it. Um, it was a little bit of a surprise. Well, it was a lot of surprise to us, but it was a little bit of a surprise to everybody in that they had selected a dessert wine. Um, we are, uh, Carl, our winemaker, has experimented with dessert wine for a couple of years now. So it was a surprise that it was a white wine. It was a surprise it was a dessert wine. And it was the first wine uh, that had won the Governor's Cup that was made from Loudoun County grapes with a Loudoun County winemaker. So there was just a whole lot of feel good about that. And it's very exciting. And as the marketing person for the vineyard, um, I had people calling, you know, journalists calling from Chicago, Mm -hmm. from the West Coast. I had um, people who were coming, they wanted to tour the vineyard and talk to the winemaker and, and a lot of media publicity and and a whirlwind of excitement and then three weeks later we had to shut our doors because of covid so it really was um a very very much a high to very much a oh my gosh wow (laughs) this is a really unfortunate (laughs) and really bad timing for us oh well 
I, I don't think I've told you my story about that wine. Um, it was a wine that you all included. With yeah. a, uh, in our wine club, in our wine club, club shipment, yes. Now, I am not a, you know, I, I don't drink a lot of dessert wine. Did appreciate receiving it. Got it like, I guess, that fall, December, November, right. whenever it was. Joan and I go to a Christmas party. So I was like, you know, we go to these Christmas parties, you always got to bring, you know, we don't, well, we don't have to, but we bring wine and we like to bring local wine. Um, but for some reason, and usually I bring something, well, I'm, I, I'm tired of bringing wine that doesn't get appreciated. Right. So I said, okay, I'm probably not going to drink this dessert wine. I'll bring that bottle. So brought the bottle there. Nobody opened the bottle, but of course you can't walk out with the bottle you brought in. That would be gauche. Yep. What happens a month later? Boom, that bottle wins the governor's cup. <laughs> and it's in very short supply at that point. No, yeah, very know, short. Yep. I and I was yep. like, wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you the time that I bring some wine that I'm just like, ah, this is something I probably won't drink anyway, turns out to win the governor's cup. Right. So, well, it, it actually was funny because, um, you know, like I said, we don't normally do dessert wines. Yeah. And um, our wine club, for the most part, are not people who drink sweet wine. You mm -hmm. know, and we know that, you know. but. Um, but Carl had the Pasito, and so we had included it in one of our wine club shipments. And a lot of people, because in our wine club, you have the option to exchange for something you'd rather drink. A lot of people turned it back in. I mean, yeah. you know, like, oh, I'm not ever going to drink this dessert wine. Right. And then about four weeks later, when we won the Governor's Cup with <laughs> it, they're like, hey, can I get a bottle of the dessert wine? <laughs> so it was it was really interesting how it went from... Um, how that changed people's perceptions of it. Right, right. And, but I did spend a lot of um, my time with wine club members when we had included it in their shipment, explaining to people what to do with a dessert wine. Because, mm -hmm. you know, there are, certainly there are bad wines out there. But sometimes it's just a matter of not knowing what occasion or how to drink a wine that you write off an entire category. You know, the, the people who've written off rosé, I don't like rosés. Yeah. And sometimes it's just that you haven't had it served the right way. And so with the with the dessert wine, um, like I said, I spent a lot of time helping people understand how to enjoy it. And in the particular case of this dessert wine, um, the way that the way that I enjoy it is the wine itself is the dessert. So you then surround that dessert with things that are going to enhance the experience. So um, dried apricots, which are tart, which counterbalance the sweet in the, in mm -hmm. the wine. Um, salted almonds, which again, that salty and that nuttiness, which brings out notes. Um, this are the wine that won the Pasito um, has some notes of toast in it. And so that, toasted almond brings out the notes of toast in the wine and it's really a um a nice balance of of sweet and salty and tart all happening in in one experience if you pair it with the right things yeah yeah well i would have liked to at least have tasted it yeah now. sorry about that howard's all yeah, gone no, <laughs> you, know, you know that there you go that's i i should think of it a different thought of it a different way yeah. that uh this is a something I haven't 
because I had never had Pasito before. Right. And all I knew was a dessert wine, and I did what you said. I wrote it off. Yep. And and, uh, and that's and I think we really need to in the world of wine or the world of food because I'm just as much into food as wine. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many things that we write off as I already know I'm not going to enjoy that, so I don't even need to take what we call in my house a courtesy bite. You know. Right. And, um, you know, a courtesy bite or a courtesy taste sometimes results in opening a door that you had no idea you would enjoy opening. Right. Well, okay. <laughs> don't I know it. So, <laughs> uh, so, so, so we win the governor's cup. All of a sudden you got to, tr- you know, apply the brakes a little bit because you're going to have to change the way you do things. Right. So what did you do? Uh, first of all, we we said a, a, an expression of grace and thanks for our wine club members um, because um, wine club members, not just for us, but for all of the vineyards that have wine clubs in this area and probably across the country, wine club members have been critical, and I mean critical, in keeping small wineries afloat. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's, um, that their impact on the industry cannot be overstated, um, in terms of providing cash flow, particularly during the time when we were closed, when we were completely closed, um, because there were three months when we were, could not have anybody on site consuming wine. So, um, our wine club members got their regular shipments. They pulled in for curbside pickup, um, what the other thing that we did was I became a one person minivan wine delivery service to Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I delivered wine club shipments. They ordered extra wine. Um, and our, our customer base really supported us through those online orders. Um, and that's just, that was such a blessing to us and I'm sure to every other vineyard out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's been tough for a lot of the vineyards. And I, I hear the same thing from, uh, you know, there's some vineyards that haven't, you know, built up a wine club following and some are do it better than others. Yeah. And um, the ones that have really are grateful to have them, but usually it's because the, you know, I don't know many people we didn't join. I'll tell you, we didn't join your wine club because we like you. We like you, right? but the wine is great. Right. That's why we joined the wine. Well, club, thank so. you. It's, it's nice when you can have, a place that has both good wine and a good experience. Mm-hmm. And so you get the full package. But, um, you know, our wine club members um, have not, during those three months that we were closed, they couldn't come have their complimentary glass of wine <laughs> and their special spot, you know, out mm-hmm. in, the, in the pavilion. They couldn't have those things, and yet they still supported us. And uh, we're really grateful for that. So going in, moving into 2021, um, what do you, is there anything you want to let people know about 868, what's going on there? Uh, or what are your projections for what's going to happen as far as how you're going to be set up? Well, let's see. For winter, um, we do have inside seating. Um, we have fire pits outside and we uh, we love it when people come. And we had a group out the other day. It was cold. They were having a great time anyway. You know, they had, we have a barn cat. The cat came and sat in her lap and the fire pit was roaring and it was really lovely. But we, we do understand that it's winter and um, we are really looking, already looking towards spring um, in terms of having plenty of space outside, which we do um, starting our live music program again, just as soon as we're able to. Um, and the, 
the events that we could not do this year, we will be doing again. We we will be doing next year, and it will be. Um, we have a lot of regular events that we do with our um, uh, our spring festival. We do several different music concert events and things like that. Um, it just stay tuned because it's going to be a great 2021 and um we've got great wine up there and we just yeah. want to share it with people who want to come drink with us and take one home well we i put uh, all your information in the show notes uh so i would recommend that anybody listening uh, go to the 868 estate vineyard website uh, again the link will be in the show notes and you'll see they're very good about posting the events that they're they're going to have and so I would recommend going. Um, something I ask everybody before they leave is um, if you could go back to when, say you were, let's go to when 2010, when you were shopping for the plot of land. Right. That will put it there. And say, or maybe at the time you purchased somewhere in there, 2010, 2012, if you could text a message from now to yourself to tell you something that you wish you had known then, but you, but you know now, uh, what would that be? Oh gosh, Howard, that's pretty hard. That's a long time ago. <laughs> well, you know, you and know, some people have told me that they they wouldn't text themselves anything because they've enjoyed the journey, which is a valid answer. I mean, I just don't know if there was something that has happened that was like, wow, that like really blindsided me. I really wish I'd known that beforehand. Maybe there's nothing like that. You know, um, I don't know. I think that we have done a really good job of developing staff that mm -hmm. has we our staff is full of long-term people i think that has been really critical to our success um i think that we have done a lot of things right and there are a lot of things that we could not have predicted like covid you know um and i just think that it's um oh actually you know what i know what i would tell myself i okay. would tell myself that i should have started a journal back then mm. to write down and remember because there there are so many crazy things that happened along the way and you think you're going to remember them all, but really by the time you have 20 crazy things that happened, then one's going to drop out and you're going to forget that one. And I really, that's what I would have told myself to start a journal and to keep track of all of the um, details and the, the small things about the journey that now is, you know, it's a, it's a faint memory because you're on to the next thing. Yeah. So. I think everyone who works with the public should, because I, I certainly haven't done that, but you look back on it and say, darn, I should have written it down. Yeah. I, I, uh, and she did, she hasn't done it yet. And this was 20 years ago. So I'll say it because, and I'm surprised I've never heard of this title. She, she was, I used a long time ago, I had a retail job when I was in college and uh, one of my coworkers, a woman who had been in the business for a long time, kept saying, I'm going to write a book about what it, you know, all of my experiences here, and I'm going to call it Retails. Oh, yes. Uh, and I, uh, I thought that was a great good. name, Yeah, but I've never seen it anywhere. Right. So anyone out there who wants to write about retail, you can take that name. Okay. Well, you know, and we used to, we used to joke that it would be um, a great television series. You could base an entire television series off of like Tales from the Tasting Room because, um, you know, we've had, we've had some some real winners of uh, crazy people who've, but for the most part, we've had such lovely people who sure. come and spend time with us. And that's really what it's all about. And we love them both, whether they're crazy or they're just normal. We love them all. 
but that's a good sitcom to pitch. Yeah. I mean, it's like Cheers, but just a different scenario. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how to get on that one, too. <laughs> All right, uh, Nancy, I want to thank you for you know taking time out of your busy day. I know you guys are always busy. Um, and uh, sharing a little bit about 868, the state winery, I would recommend anybody who uh, has listened to this or taken the time to listen or watch this to uh, go check them out. Well, they will take care of you. Howard, thank you so much for having me on the show today. Oh, great. I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. Well, that's another show in the books. I had a great time speaking with Nancy DeLiso, as usual, of 868 Estate Vineyards. If you live in or near the DMV, or if you're planning to visit Loudoun County, Virginia, please go to the 868 Estate Vineyards website. There's a link in the show notes to see when they're open and when you can stop by. It will be well worth your while to add them to your itinerary. And please let them know that you heard about it on this show. It's a great place. You'll thank me. I'd like to thank Nancy for taking time out of her busy schedule to be a guest on my show. Nancy, you're always welcome to come on and discuss all things related to Virginia food and wine. I would like to ask that you please subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so yet. I'll introduce you to some of the best folks in the DMV and surrounding area, just like Nancy DeLiso, and that is a promise. Please tell your friends about us and have them tune in. They'll thank you for it. I'm all about promoting the craft beverage industry in the DMV because I think it's some of the best in the nation. Actually, I think it's some of the best in the world. If you agree with that, please share the podcast. The more it grows, the more I can get the word out about the craft beverage culture here in the DMV, meaning Virginia, Maryland, and the District of Columbia. This show was written, recorded, and produced and birthed by yours truly. I'll be back next week with another craft beverage maker in the DMV to introduce to you. I know there's a ton of media you could be listening to besides me, and that's why I work so hard to bring you the content that I do. I truly appreciate your time investment in me. Thanks again for listening. Remember, always have a designated driver. So I'll be able to see you next time. East Ficata. You have been listening to Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher, part of the Fletcher Podcast Group. You can reach Howard at his website, barreltastingpod.com. I'm Asia Blue. Thanks for listening. See you next time.